I think January of 2021, that was focused on the, the virus itself, the origin, or I can't remember what it was. Well, of course, we're blind to it. And in the session, I wrote game of function, game of function. And, and I go through and, and describe it. I, I never even heard of game of function, mm-hmm. let alone what that might have meant or that I would have gotten game and game confused and then and describe that. So all of this stuff gets forgotten, you know, because there's no reference for that. There's no reference for game of function or gain of function in January of 2020. It didn't even become an issue until 21 or something like that, or later on in there where they started saying, wait a minute, man, is this coming from a laboratory? And I'm like, yeah, it is because I told you it was a laboratory back in 2017. Um, I'm getting a sensation of near water, near water. Timestamps. This session was done the first one, November 10, 2017. This is the first thing I'm coming across here. These bands here had a metallic taste. Now, if we look at some of the things that are being found by the embalmers. And what they're saying in the documentary is that they're doing less and less autopsies. And so the embalmers of the recently deceased, they are finding these type of clots, these fibrous clots inside of the the dead bodies. And just do a, a go through just a little bit of this because there's so much in here that is relevant. There they were again. This was the big story here. Clustered together. Twisted fibrous bound together, some type of illumination in, in the fibers. It's like they're lit up or illuminated electric feel 
I could go on and on. That This was the thing about these. I could go on and on and on about these fibers. It reminds me of blood coursing through veins. There was all kinds of fear and all kinds of concern. It reminded me of a plague. There's a plague on the way. Some kind of a plague <laughs> coming down the line. Welcome back. I'm here again with remote viewer Edward Reardon. Edward, welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be here. Okay, so in the last episode, we talked a little bit about your quote-unquote origin story, but we also talked about the mechanism by which you theorized that remote viewing works in the brain. In this episode, I want to start with what I think is one of your weirder and more notable success stories. And then after that, kind of get into some of the more esoteric targets you may have worked over the course of your career. So what happened with this gain of function thing? Tell me this story. Well, the gain of function, there were two remote viewings that I had done prior to the COVID outbreak. And these are on the internet, like literally uploaded during that period. Of yeah. Time, right? Well, the first one was in November of 2017. So right about two years before it became a big global concern. I'd say it was probably about November of 2019 when it, people were like, wait, man, I think there might be something going on over there. That, that's also a year or roughly a year before EcoHealth presented a contract to DARPA to try to even sell this contract. You know, not, like, I'm not saying it came yeah. from this contract, but <laughs> the timing is highly correlated. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what happened with that one. Where I'm, where I'm recording now, this is what I call my remote viewing laboratory. So this is where all everything takes place here. And you know, I have a, a six foot by four foot board for if I'm standing up doing stuff. I got the table. I got everything here. And it's been this way for years. So in November of 2017, it was in the morning. It was like something just went right through me. And I wasn't even remote viewing or anything like that. I was just here in the room and some strange thing came over me and it felt really weird. And I was like, what was that, man? I don't know what that was about. So I decided to remote view what that was. What was that thing? What just happened to me? So I started doing this remote viewing over a series of like five or six sessions. And right away, I was seeing a virus and something was happening in people's blood. There was a, a fibrous effect happening in people's blood. And I was like, Ooh, okay, that, that's weird. What the hell's going on here? So I kept going and I got the laboratory where this thing was released from. I got the local nearby area that was first affected by the thing that came out of this laboratory. Didn't call it a wet market, but it was right in the vicinity of this laboratory where all these evil things were taking place. All kinds of effects on people and all this stuff, 
all of these things. And I posted them all. I did the session. I posted it right there, November 2017. Thinking, and this is on this is on your YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And which will be in the uh, link below, right? And and just went on, you know, just went on, just went on with life, you know, kept doing my videos, doing my thing. And I joined crypto viewing, a group of remote viewers in 2018. And we do remote viewing constantly. Every week we're doing new remote viewing projects. We are very active remote viewers. In August or September of 2019, we do a project. I, I don't know what the target is. We don't know what the target is. We're blind to the target. The target was, in the feedback that we got, the, the catalyst that would be for the switching over from the dollar to a digital currency system. That was the target. What would be the catalyst for this? That's even more horrifying than your solution or than what, the, what you so, said. So I'm doing this session, right? And I got, you know, the, the Great Wall of China and I'm in this area, you know, all this stuff is coming through. And then I draw this thing, this organism that looks just like the spike protein. And I'm describing it and all this stuff. And it just looks exactly like the spike protein with the thing and the ball, you know, the whole thing. And at, obviously at that time, it, it didn't make any sense. So, and I remember going through the debrief with the guys and I'm going, geez, guys, I'm sorry. I, I guess I, you know, I missed this one. <laughs> I'm glad you guys did. I'm glad you guys did good. Cause I, I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, and we go on, we forget about it. The virus thing comes out. And now everybody's talking about the virus by, you know, January, February. Stop right there for a second. In one of those sessions, did, did you not use the term gain of function? So I did three sessions that ended up being related to that. And we were given a target in, I think, January of 2021 that was focused on the, the virus itself. The origin, or I can't remember what it was. Well, of course, we're blind to it. And in the session, I wrote game of function. Game of function. And, and I go through and, and describe it. I, I never even heard of gain of function, mm -hmm. let alone what that might have meant. Or that I would have gotten game and gain confused and, and, and describe that. So... All of this stuff gets forgotten, you know, because there's no reference for that. There's no reference for game of function or gain of function in January of 2020. It didn't even become an issue until 21 or something like that, or later on in there where they started saying, wait a minute, man, is this coming from a laboratory? And I'm like, yeah, it is because I told you it was a laboratory back in 2017. So you said that in 2020, you were racist, but yeah, now you're right. not a racist anymore if you, exactly. if you propose it. So what I called then a game of function to the target that was specific to the coronavirus that, of course, we're blind to. We didn't even look at that till maybe a year later. It's like, oh, wait, we went through it. It's like, 
I can't believe you said that because then it was relevant. But when I said it in 2020, it's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So in about February or March of 2020, when the lockdown, everything happens, I went through the session that I did in August or September of 2019, which was uh, what's going to be the catalyst for the switching to the new digital system. And I looked through that session, I saw the, the spike protein that I drew and brought it to everyone's attention because we had forgotten about the whole thing. You know, we do so much work that we put out something and we're on to the next thing. Put that out right. We're, we're not looking over fine tuned comb our stuff a year later to say, look at this hit. It's gone, you know, it's a fluke. That's what it's my a, podcast is for. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a fluke to even go back and find the game of function or the spike protein because it had been forgotten because it was just not even relevant. You know, it became relevant later. So just like the, the 2017 sessions, they became relevant two years later in November of 2019. And then when I brought it up, people were saying, no, you're, you drew these fibrous things. And <laughs> this, the spike protein doesn't look like that. So I don't know what you're talking about. Say more about the fibrous things. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I guess you're right. I can't argue with you. I guess I was just wrong. You know, I, I'm okay to be wrong. I'm a, I'm a remote viewer, man. You have to be okay with being wrong to, to have any longevity in remote viewing. I'm fine. Hey, I was wrong, man. Two years later, a documentary comes out. No, you don't say it. Don't say it. Just I won't say what it is. Yeah. And somebody sends me the link and they say, you have to take a look at this. And I watch it. And what they were holding in those vials, and I put my thing. Next to it, they were the exact same thing. So the point is, like, from my perspective, the game of function, which, you know, the words were switched up, the spike protein, the sessions of, of 2017, I had to wait years for feedback out on those things, years for feedback. And some of them, it was a fluke even just to go back and find them. Because we weren't sitting there waiting for game of function or gain of function to become an issue, you know. Now, for the documentary, I haven't seen it. I'm aware of it. But is the thesis that the virus caused those fibers or was it the treatment methodology for the virus? I'll just tell you how it went down, went down for me. Okay. The whole thing was taking place, you know, the corona thing was a big issue. 2020-2021. It starts coming out at some point in, I think, like 2021, that the spike protein from the virus was telling the brain to produce an enzyme called fibrin uh, in the okay. blood. Basically telling the body that it needed to clot some blood like there was a wound, but there was no wound. So it would, it would overproduce fibrin 
and create clots in the body. And when you look at those images of what fibrin looks like, just you know, in a, under a microscope, it was matching the stuff from my session in 17 as well. So, so it like, could be the virus, the treatment, and or both that are causing it. So then in the documentary that we don't want to mention, yeah. what they're saying is that the treatments are producing amyloid clots. It's a different kind of clot. Mm. It's not a, a fibrin thing that's looking to plug a hole so you don't bleed to death. You know, These are long amyloid clots that are all intertwined, just like I had drawn. And so people can make their own conclusions about it. I, I'm not going to tell people what is or what is not. All I'm saying is that what they were pulling out of people and what I drew are exactly the same. <laughs> they look exactly the same. You're not even. Yeah, you're not. Of, you're not positing what caused those clots. You're just. All I'm saying is that what I drew then is what they're pulling out of people now, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. You know, I'm not a doctor. It's all alleged. I haven't even yeah. seen this documentary, so I can't even. Yeah. Kind of, I'm not endorsing. I'm not drawing yeah. any conclusions. YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. You just saw these fibrous structures yeah. and but you know, know fibrous but, structures. But, but like you asked me about the gain of function thing, because those sessions in mid-2019, early January of 2020, where they're saying all, all of these types of things, when it really started to give me an, an idea of what might possibly some of these things might be about, especially the spike protein that came up when we were asked to look at what would be the catalyst for switching over to a digital currency. And then you hear people like Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum saying that COVID is the catalyst for the Great Reset, which is to bring in the new digital currency and the new digital system. Then it's like, ah, okay. Okay, I, I think I might get it now. Today's date is May 13th, 2023. The thing that's scariest about this, which I didn't expect to hear, was the prompt. The prompt being the ushering in of this digital currency. And what is really scary is that since that date, since COVID's happened and things like that, in the U.S., there's been at least three bank failures by this point, including Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, and First Republic Bank, which, again, I'm a writer, as well as a number of other things I do, that really suits a narrative of, you know what, we can't have bank runs, we need to have more control in the currency, so that these bank runs don't occur. And, you know, this is more of an impetus for exactly what you're suggesting. It's almost as like we're racing toward that point in time, and it is horrifying. Anyway, I didn't mean to take yeah. you out of the... <laughs> No, that pretty much sums it up. With the sessions, somebody asked me, like, how do you feel that you did those sessions about this virus thing in 2017? And my response is always, I'm glad I did them. Because I could have easily have not done them. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that I put the time and the effort into 
doing it and posting them, even though at the time I could just look like a total idiot, you know, with no reference or, or anything like that. So I'm just glad that I did it. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy, yeah. All right. That makes a perfect opportunity to get into. Hopefully that doesn't get demonetized by this point. I think we were using enough coded language to <laughs> interrupt some of the controversy. <laughs> we're not endorsing or condoning or suggesting. We're just, this is just. Everything is allegedly. And do what they tell you. What That's right. Because we can never know for sure. We don't yeah. have factual. Anyway. Um, like I like to, I'm probably wrong about all this stuff. Well, I wouldn't say that, but let's go on to the next piece that people probably clicked. Although I, that was worth its weight in gold and some of the stuff that you saw. The woo, UFOs, esoteric targets. First, let's talk about where you stand on them. We'll get that out of the way first. I'm not a big fan. Well, let me put it this way. It just depends on what it is. I am not a fan at all of UFO remote viewing. I am of the opinion that adding the UFO component to remote viewing was one of the worst things that could have happened to the field of remote viewing. Because if you're in a remote viewing session and you're like, okay, there's something in the air, you know, this landscape here, but there's some something in the air. And then all of a sudden, it's close encounters of the third kind. Uh, it's ET. It's uh, the day the Earth stood still. It's every episode. You know, you're no longer remote viewing. You know, you're Roswell. Your beliefs, how you feel about it, and for people who are pro that, they'll go on and on and on about it. You know, mm -hmm. because they want to justify it for themselves. But does that make it real? It doesn't make it real. Unless you have a way to physically validate the target, right? Meaning Which, you were there, you saw, or you interacted with it, not a third-party story, not something way off there. I mean, like you were actually there. Because I don't like those kinds of targets that you could indulge yourself and others who love that kind of entertainment too. And it's just you're watching a movie. You know, you're basically you're entertaining yourself and you're entertaining them. But it's really not what is how much of that is actually real. And like in the previous segment, my whole pursuit, like with the brain and all this, is I want something real. I want what's real. So I, I love working validation targets because I want to know when something real happened. You know, that's why I'm so interested in, in the brain. Because I'm only interested in what's real. I'm not interested in indulging my fantasies about aliens and space aliens and stuff like that. So I don't like doing them. But I have done that. Yeah. Well, because you're, you're assessed, you're assigned blind targets from yeah. time to time, right? I've done them. I've had things that came through in sessions where I'm remote viewing. I'm blind. The target is an unidentified thing. And I'm getting things that go along with that narrative. You know, does that make it true? All I can say is, hey, Matt, that's what came through in my session. And I hand it over to anybody else to analyze it. You know, I documented what I experienced. 
And that's all I can say. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if I was manipulated. I don't know maybe if I was picking up on the tasker's intentions. It could be anything. It could be anything, you know. But overall, I think they're a bad idea for viewers, especially new viewers, because in my opinion. Yeah, you, you don't know what you're doing yet, right? You don't, you don't know, know what, what you're doing. You have to put in the 20, 30,000 hours just to get a sense of what it might feel like when you are actually on quote unquote target, let alone just going, yeah, space aliens and UFOs and oh yeah, ghosts. And you know, you you don't even know what's going on. You're just kind of indulging, but people love that stuff. You know, they love that kind of escapism, you know? So I, I don't have a really good opinion about them, but then esoteric targets in general, it just depends on the target. I got a couple of favorites. I loved working these sessions because I learned so much. You know, like for me, remote viewing is how I learn things, you know. And in these sessions, I learned all kinds of things that I would have never known otherwise. So one of them I was tasked was the skull of Mary Magdalene. So there's a church in France, I think it is. And I think it's called the Church of the Magdalene or something like that. And down in the basement, there's a shrine. And in this thing is a skull. And they say it's the skull of Mary Magdalene. That was my target. And why I love this session is that before I was given the reference ID, which is like the go-ahead, everything is all set. You know, I got a target for you. Here you go. I sent a request to my friend, Dustin Newcomb, send me a target. He says, okay, I'll give it, get it to you in the next couple of days or a week or whatever. And within like a day or two, I am starting to experience this target. And there's a person and they're, I drew it all out. The, the sessions are all online. They're in that kind of garb that people would probably wearing back in a couple thousand years ago. They got those kinds of sandals or footwear like they probably were wearing back in those days. And that's all I can see is this person walking down from like the waist down. And they're coming down to slight inclined rocky landscape. And I'm just like everywhere I go, I'm experiencing it. I'm at work and I'm experiencing it. I'm walking in my car and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then a couple of days later, he says, oh, okay, here you here's the target reference ID. And I boom, 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 I'm drawing it. And I go through the whole thing of these people and the structure for which they live under, of what the men do in the spiritual structure that they're in, what the men do, their role, what the women do in their role. And the focus was on what these women were doing and their role within this quote unquote religious or spiritual organization. And the role that they played. And it was fascinating, man. It was just so fascinating. And so I saw it, boom, he sends me the feedback, and I'm just, I learned volumes. And that's why I love the session so much. It's of an esoteric nature, but there is a skull. It is a physical thing. You can go, is it the skull of Mary Magdalene? I can't say for sure or whose skull that actually is. But if there's a story behind it, it's a fascinating story. And I loved it. I loved telling it. 
And I, I felt like I was being asked to tell someone's story. So was the owner of the, not the owner, but the person whose skull that was, was that person a prostitute like Mary Magdalene was? I don't think I had gotten anything along those lines. It'd be like if you had an organization today and you had certain people have these roles in that organization, these people have these roles in this organization. And in this organization, the men had a specific spiritual role. And the women had a very specific spiritual role, and they worked it together like that. Oh, man, I had bringing back Lazarus from the dead, and I, all that stuff was in there, dude. It was freaking fascinating. And then there was this lady, she and her crew or her group had to leave eventually and go on this long journey, which is what the the skull story is, is that Mary and her group left I guess after the sometime after the crucifixion, and they made their way into Europe, and that's where she died, and, and that's where they they had the skull, mm. according to the story. And it was so fascinating, but going through it was it was just so humbling. The whole thing was just humbling to me, you know, and it was a great remote viewing experience. But again, it's the nature of the target. Another one is, that's a favorite of mine. Real, real quick question before you go on the other one. Do you have a sense that you were remote viewing what actually happened to the person whose skull that was? Or is there a chance that it was, I don't even know if this is a term, but telepathic overlay from all the layers of people believing that story over hundreds, if not thousands of years? I couldn't tell you the answer to that. I don't know. The only thing that I can say is that it offered me an opportunity to comprehend a dynamic that I had never comprehended before, which is what this male-female dynamic would have been like in these spiritual groups 2,000 years ago or however many, you know, a long time ago. And what that dynamic would have been like and felt like, that was the only thing that was important to me. So whether that skull is hers or not, it wasn't really that important. The only thing that mattered to me was that I experienced something I'd never experienced, and I was able to comprehend something that I had never conceived of before. That's what made it important to me. And then to convey that that's what felt important to convey that dynamic and what that would look like and feel like and that kind of thing. You know, information that may not be readily available, that somebody may say, you know what, what you described, that is what the texts say that how they interacted and how their groups, that was the dynamic of their groups back then. That's what matters. That's what matters to me. So, yeah. Yeah. So again, like I say, it's the nature of the esoteric target. The other one, which is one of my all-time favorites, is mm -hmm. the Xenon-1 dark matter detector, which is a laboratory that is like a 1,000 or 2,000 feet below the surface of the Earth, underneath a giant mountain in Italy. They have a laboratory under there, and they do all kinds of whatever experiments that they do. Who, who's they? 
I don't know who they are. You'd have to look it up. If you look up Xenon 1 Dark Matter Detector, it'll take you to them. They're a legit real. Oh, okay. It's a legit real it's, lab. It's, real. it's a real lab. And they put it under the mountain because the mountain blocks the radiation and all the noise that they want to block so that they can do their experiments. And so they wanted to try to detect what they call WIMPs, which means weakly interacting massive particles. And they theorized that dark matter would be one of those. So they wanted to see if they could detect them. So they got this xenon, which is an element, in liquid form, and they put it into a container, and everything's like as sealed off as you can get with these detectors in there. And if one of these weakly interacting massive particles makes it through the mountain and hits a xenon molecule, it'll register the event inside of the detector. All right. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of this. All I'm given is a target reference ID. Okay. I'm explaining to you post-feedback what the thing is about. In the session that I'm working under blind conditions, I'm in the laboratory. All right. And I'm standing there, and around that corner, there's some type of active mechanical something going on. Because I can see it. There's light, and you know, there's like some type of mechanical and energy thing happening over there. And I don't know what it is. But I want to go and I want to find out what is going on over there. But I'm trying to make my way over there. And I'm having a difficult time doing it. I'm like, what the the hell's going on here? So I finally make it over there. And in this session, I'm looking at whatever this thing is that I'm wanting to look at. And it's so bright that I can't make anything out. And the more that I try to make something out, it's like the brighter it becomes. So I have to in session, because this is kind of difficult to describe, but if if something like that happens in session, I begin to formulate ways to reroute my mm. way around it so that I can get into whatever it is. It's a remote viewing technique I developed for myself whenever I come up to, into a difficult situation like that. So I do. And... I'm looking at this undulating molecule inside of this device. And I drew it. I drew it. My drawing was square, and it's more of a tube canister shape that they Mm -hmm. have. But, I mean, I had it, and it was going on inside there, the whole thing. But I'm looking at this undulating molecule, and I drew it, and I drew it. Again, I'm blind. I have no idea what the target is. I send him all the stuff. He sends me the feedback. And I'm like, Xenon 1, I never heard. I have no idea. I don't know what that is. I start to research what they're doing there. And a weakly interacting particle isn't interacting with the molecules and the particles in the field. It's zipping through. It's like a neutrino. It's just like... Nothing stops it, man. It just goes through everything, you know. It doesn't interact 
with the particles around it, where it's going to get stuck or slowed or whatever. It just goes right through. And that's how I was describing it in the session. It's like this something that doesn't have any resistance. There's no resistance to this thing. So when I started to research what they were looking for in, in the xenon, in this liquid xenon, and that when this particle comes and it, and it hits a xenon molecule and it creates an event that they can register, it hit me. I just saw a weakly interacting particle. I saw one. I described it. And then I started thinking, what if this had an effect on the xenon detector? When you I wonder said how this, do you my mean remote you? viewing it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, but did you imply that the wimp didn't impact the xenon detector the way you're saying it's going through everything? Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm not implying that. Uh, okay. okay. All, all, all I'm saying is that it's so amazing that it, it's there, you know. And when I was researching what goes on there and what happened in, in my session, the realization that I was looking at an elusive, weakly interacting massive particle that they're doing all of this stuff to detect, hoping hoping that they will roll the dice and one of these wimps will actually hit it and it will actually do it, that I was looking at one and I may be the only person that's ever seen one. The realization of that, I mean, I, I don't have a big ego, man. I, I try to be really humble. I don't like to go out and say, oh, I'm the greatest, ah, you know. I just don't do I don't do anything like that, man. I, I honestly I'm I'm antisocial. I spend most of my time in, in here. <laughs> but the, the thought of that hit me like this is what remote viewing is for. This is important. This is what it's for, you know, a target like this. And it's one of my favorite remote viewing experiences, you know. But again, it could fit under the category of an esoteric target. But it just depends on what you're being asked to look at, what is the nature of it, why you're doing it, what's the intention of the tasker, and all, all that stuff comes into play. You know, so yeah, if it's somebody saying there's a flash of light in the sky, describe the UFO. That's not the best use of my time, you know. Because like, like I said before, my opinion is that 99.9% .9 of the UFO stuff is not true. But that 0.1% is really fascinating. And I am more than willing to lower that percentage. Give me some stuff. I'll, I'll say 90% of it's garbage. If you give me that good 10%, I'd be happy to say 70% of it's garbage. Give me that good 30%. But I'm becoming more and more skeptical the older I get. And a lot of my skepticism comes from Warner von Braun. Interesting. The rocket scientist, the German rocket yes. scientist. The one gal who was his assistant told him before he died, he kept saying the final card, the final card they're going to pull is the fake alien invasion. 
that will be the final card. And that just always sticks with me. Like the final card, meaning that it's a false event designed to usher in a control system. So they'll have everybody looking at this big, shiny thing. Well, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, pay no attention to the guy behind the screen. But yeah, as a result of that, I'm, I'm very skeptical uh, of it. But like I say, I, I have had remote viewing. I had, I had one session that I did, the Vimanas, which were... Uh, oh, the, yeah. The uh, Sanskrit. Yeah, sort of. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, again, all blind. And I had a whole thing in that, in that th- those sessions were all about an advanced civilization offering a, a less advanced civilization an upgrade, or as I termed in that session, a type of grant. They were offered a type of grant. You know, like if you give somebody a grant to go to school, they don't know anything, but you give them a grant and now they can go and they can educate themselves. It was in those lines of concepts. And I really enjoyed those sessions. So I'm not opposed to it, but I'm very skeptical of what is being presented in current times and how it could be used to just manipulate people. So I'm very skeptical of that kind of stuff. Like the headline news. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) If that becomes a headline, I'll be like, Oh, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's almost, you have to do mosaic theory. I think anything that is suspicious, I'll read like the economist I'll look at Fox News, I'll look at CNN, I'll look at the New York Times, Washington Post, and then I'll call somebody who is actually involved in the field. And 70% of the time, it's correct, but 30% of the time, the media gets something wrong, either by stupidity or by omission or just by outright incompetence. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe lie. Who knows? I'm definitely becoming more – the older I get, the more skeptical I become. And hey, man, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's interesting because people really don't know much about remote viewing. So when remote viewers talk about things, sometimes it's just not easy to understand what what they're talking about. But in a session, you're describing things that you have a certain level of detachment from. What happens after feedback and what happens during the remote viewing are two really different things. They're two completely different experiences. Basically, my, my whole point is that Remote viewing is a very misunderstood topic because remote viewers really, really need to be describing it and, and not scientists or non-remote viewers. So there's one <laughs> other story I think we talked about briefly that I think the audience would be interested in hearing, and that's the Mayan pyramid that I think you remote viewed at some point. Yeah, that one is up to that session was recorded. You got to go way back, like 2012, something like that. But yeah, the target was somebody was at the Mayan pyramids, Chichen Itza, I think it was, and took some pictures. And in one of the pictures, there was a column of light coming up from the top of the pyramid. And kind of went through and, you know, some of the underground news or people who are interested in those kinds of things. And that was tasked to me. That was given to me as a target. Mm-hmm. And I'm completely blind. What? I have no idea. Yep. Completely blind. I have no idea. 
So I'm drawing, you know, if you're looking at the pyramid from above and the base of it and, and the whole thing and describing all this kind of stuff. And in the session towards the end, I was exploring a certain concept that was coming through. And then the idea was to go to where did that concept come from and what was their intent? And next thing I know, it's like going into this large open room and there's a very large presence in the room in front of me. And the only way I could describe it, it wasn't like it was some evil thing, you know, ooh, you know, scary. It was just this big awareness. And it was observing me. And I'm observing it. And how I felt being observed by this thing was that it was looking through me as if an x-ray machine and any my own mental crap emotional crap fears beliefs my own projections were completely useless in front of this awareness so basically the only thing left for me after this thing observed was my true naked self mm. complete, completely vulnerable and i was like wow the notion that came to me was not an ounce of could i come <laughs> up with to have any effect you know what i mean it was like the scan just was like you ain't got nothing <laughs> you got nothing and i was just like great great it was like a relief <laughs> you know yep. i don't have to try to come up with any here it was really really something man but the video is there and people can check it out but that would fall under the topic of an esoteric thing, you know, and one that I enjoyed. I'll leave you with this. It has to be an enjoyable experience. Anybody who has any longevity in it, they have to come to a place uh, of understanding where their curiosity is stimulated and they enjoy it. They're learning from the process. That's what keeps you going. If you're just a data miner or some taskmaster, I feel sorry for those people, man. <laughs> The Explorer has been my journey with it and will continue to be my journey with it, which means no rules. You know, the rule book goes in the fireplace and go as far as fast as you can. Every once in a while, look behind you, see if anybody's trailing along and keep going. Just keep going. All right, my friend. Thank you very much, Edward. It has been an absolute pleasure. I also enjoyed our offline discussions, which the world will never see. But Thanks so much. Uh, as always, it was fascinating. So thank you for spending time here with me and my audience. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.
Thank <laughs> you.